Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, the most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John o. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is James Deal. James is the head of school at NIST uh, International School. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Sean. It's, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I should say Dr. James Deal as well. I just realized I like to make sure I honor that uh, that as well about you, uh, James. Um, so first of all, tell us about what you do, not only as a head of school, but tell us about um, NIST International School. Sure. So um, 
This international school is in beautiful, uncrowded downtown Bangkok at the moment, thanks to COVID, uh, quickly, like quickly changing back to the exciting city that it was. We're an international school with uh, about 1,800 students. We have students from all over the world, about uh, 54 different nationalities. And although our students might hold nationalities on those passports, few of them have ever lived in those countries. So a truly uh, international community, international group of parents and students. And uh, offering the international baccalaureate programs, really, uh, we always say preparing students to be the best global citizens possible and make a positive difference in the world. So that's the school that we're coming from or that I'm currently the head of uh, now here mm -hmm. in Bangkok. Amazing. And uh, let's jump straight into your story because I'm really excited to, I, I just always really love hearing the, the background uh, for leaders like, like you, James, who are doing incredible things there at NIST International School. Uh, so let's start with your childhood. Growing up, what were some of the moments or even themes from that time of your life that really shaped you into the person and leader you are today? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, and, and when and when you prompted it, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm thinking of uh, several moments that that might be somewhat watersheds, I guess, or 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 maybe propellants. You know, things that certainly shifted a direction or or a mindset. Um, and if you hear children playing outside, it's because my office is right by the playground. So just if you ever wondered if I ever did work in a school, I can I can assure you that that, that is the case. You might hear them. Um, so. And I guess to start off, just to say, there's, there's probably three things that I would immediately think of. The first one is that I grew up in a rural community on a dairy farm. And so the idea of hard work being enjoyable was something that was always instilled in me. And I was very fortunate to have a family who not only enjoyed hard work, I mean, almost by the definition of growing up on a, on a dairy farm, you're getting up early, you're working late. Um, your but that doesn't mean it doesn't that it can't be uh unenjoyable right so how do we have fun at what we do while we're working hard was always something that i was exposed to and i think i've carried that through and really i mean my mom has a saying which is if it, if it ain't fun i don't want to do it which doesn't mean you don't want to work hard it just means we can do both things together and so that for me was one of them growing up um that I think I've definitely held on to and definitely as a leader have tried to make the work fun for other people as well. So that was, that's definitely one of my kind of uh, moments that would have shaped me early in my life. Yeah, um, that's that. I, I just wanted to ask you before you jump to another one. So what's it like going from rural dairy farm to Bangkok in terms <laughs> of your, <laughs> like, is that, well, uh, it, that must be an interesting in one, like for one person to spend so much time growing up there and now be in, in a place that's in some ways is, is completely the opposite because it's, there's you you know, it's not rural. <laughs> that's for sure. No, no. And we certainly miss, um, I mean, my wife and I are both from a rural background and we certainly miss that. But I think if we, if we consider the episodes in our lives and those experiences almost as learning a language, learning the culture, um, you can learn multiple cultures, right? We can we can live and we can value multiple connections with different cultures yeah. and different, if you want to express them as languages. So in the same way that when I'm in Spain, I speak Spanish and when I'm in Italy, I speak Italian, or at least I try to, it's rather humorous apparently to people <laughs> when I do, but but you understand the code and you can, you can express yourself when you're there. So I mean, when we travel back home and when I go see uh, my parents or my cousins or you know who's ever working on the farm now, um, mm. it's amazing how that just becomes fluent again and you step back into it and then you step back and you get off the plane, you step back into the role in rural downtown Bangkok and it's a different culture. It's a different language and you yeah. think and speak in that way. And I think that's a, it, it's, it's a way that we can think about how we can spread ourselves through different, um, mm. different cultures and, if we think of it like a language, then really it's it's endless and it's boundless. We can learn different languages and we can appreciate that others will speak and know different languages and different cultures from us as well. I've never heard it put like that. And I just love that framework to compare being part of different cultures to being like learning different languages. Um, that's just, it's a wonderful, it is a wonderful mm. perspective. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. 
you you were going to share another moment from growing up, I think, before I jumped in with that question. No, no, it's just, I mean, I guess part of the story arc, um, yeah. you know, thinking about all those things along the way, certainly the ones that I'm conscious of would be um, not being an overly motivated student. I, I enjoyed school in the sense that there were people there uh, and I could go and meet my friends and do things. I wasn't necessarily overly motivated by academics, although I was always interested in, in learning. Never expected to go to university, so kind of reluctantly made it to the end of what in North America would have been high school and uh, fully expected to just spend time on the farm. Um, and my mother, who's, uh, who's, whose wisdom has helped me throughout, actually, said, listen, if you're going to spend the rest of your life driving a tractor, why don't you take a couple of months and go and you know do a bit of traveling and maybe do something different? So one of the things I was interested in at the time and we had a family connection with was the outward bound in Eskdale, up in like in England, in Northern England. So I went, uh, you know, got involved for a while, loved outdoor education, completely different genre. I mean, still outside, still active, um, really enjoyed myself. But it makes me think of um, Jim Collins always talks in good to great about the who luck question. Who did you happen to meet in your life <laughs> that having met them, maybe change the direction. And so I, I met a guy um, named John Heimseth. He was uh, a lawyer from New Zealand doing the classic kind of traveling overseas, working, traveling, playing. Uh, we just by sheer accident bumped into each other at Outward Bound in like in Estale. And, um, you know, we kind of connected, really good guy. And we were out, uh, we were out on a hike at some point in time. And he said, Oh, you know, what are you thinking about for after? But I said, oh, I'll go back to the farm and I'll, you know, keep, but he said, Oh, that's funny. He said, I would have expected you were going to go to university. You know, you, you, you like reading, you like learning things. Why wouldn't you go? And I said, well, it's never really been on the trajectory that wasn't on the to-do list. And, uh, and I said, you know, by the and my marks aren't very good. And I don't know if I would get in. He said, oh, those are just excuses. You know, I mean, really, why don't you just go and try? What's the difference? If you don't get in, then you keep doing what you planned. And if you did, another door opens. Anyway, so he um, kind of convinced me that that might be a door, uh, which I pursued. So that was um, that was something that I, I went back. I ended up applying to and getting into York University in Toronto, which happened to have a mature student program that allowed people that maybe had made some poor choices earlier on to have a second chance, which I'm thankful for. And ended up getting into York University and really enjoying enjoying the school and, and enjoying the experience as well. So that was kind of in, in terms of the who luck question. Um, you know, John was definitely one of those people that I bumped into at exactly the right time and exactly the right situ situation that gave me advice that really reshaped the direction in, in terms of what I could do and decided to do. That's incredible because uh, what I love about about that part of your story, James, is it was your mum first who said, no, you know, go and give this a go. And then John says, oh, well, you know, before you do that, you should go and give this a go. And and here you are today. And um, I, I'm always amazed at how often great leaders have um, stories where it's almost um, accidental or reluctant to step into, uh, to initially take a step towards where they found such passion and and often success. And I think the encouragement for young people um, who want to make a difference in life is to, yeah, is to not be afraid. So I, I think sometimes people feel like, oh, well, leaders must be born with this passion and knowledge from when they're five, that they're going to be a, a head of school. And, and it's like, well, actually, no, it's, it's usually a very non-linear approach where you someone really important in your life encourages you to take a step and you go and do it. And, and then you go down this really interesting path and end up doing what you're doing. Yeah. I think that's uh, certainly not planned. I mean, there was no, um, there was no teenage route that was set out that was followed step by step. Um, probably quite the opposite. And I don't know if I'm just susceptible to suggestions, but certainly when people said, why don't you just give it a go? <laughs> I was willing to just give it a go. <laughs> Um, yeah, and that, I would say that um, that that breadth of experiences is really has proven to be so valuable later yeah. in life. So, I mean, I was lucky enough, um, went to university uh, at another friend's suggestion, uh, 
I walked on to the varsity volleyball team in my first year and was part of that varsity volleyball, you know, then experience going through university. I played rugby for the university team as well, because why not? I'll just walk on and try. And that, that worked out well. Um, you know, and then just a matter of, I've always had jobs. I was working in construction. Uh, I became a licensed welder. I worked as a carpenter for a while. Um, had always had a part-time job in university. I worked in the ice rink, like in the ice hockey rink, uh, driving a Zamboni. And again, you know, it just, things <laughs> kind of fit together, uh, where the Zamboni for anybody in Australia is the big machine that cleans the ice and makes it new. Um, okay. not a common term in all over the world. The, um, <laughs> but the, it's that kind of, you know, Oh, we need someone who can drive a big piece of machinery. Oh, how about the kid that grew up on the farm? Sure. Why not? I'll do it. You know? And then, so it's just kind of this, uh, tripping toward opportunity. Yeah. and being open to it and knowing that this is a phase before it became a popular phase yeah. right so yeah. you know having I, I i was had a pretty good hunch i wasn't going to drive a zamboni for the rest of my life maybe <laughs> but why not do it for a while learn from what i could do same thing with being a welder same thing with you know playing volleyball but with, with playing rugby certainly playing sport was a strong element of my of my background in terms of that that team and i know this is probably something no doubt and certainly you know from listening to your podcast uh the the, the links with sports and teams there's there there usually <laughs> is a common theme there as well and so i think that's yeah. that all kind of starts to fit together but as you're suggesting too john with with no master plan i mean there was no um i know exactly what i want to do and i know how to get there it was i don't have a clue what i want to do <laughs> but i want to make a difference and I want to have fun doing it and I want to feel like I have a purpose. So yeah. we'll just work toward those directions that tend to lend themselves to those types of occupations really. Yeah, that's, that's so good. I, I love that um, story because it is counter, it is counterintuitive. I think, I think the bit that's, that should be really encouraging. And, and I think of myself when I was younger and I wish I had known that. I don't know how I could have really gotten the penny to drop. But when I was 20, just knowing, you know what, this is a phase, just put one step in front of the other, see what opportunities are there, do your best with whatever it is, have fun and make sure whatever you're doing, you know, find a way to make it fun, which I love about your story as well. And, uh, and know that this is just a phase, but you know, it, it it'll lead to other doors opening. And, uh, I want to ask you about your mum. She sounds like a remarkable woman. She's come up a couple of times already. And, uh, you know, you said in passing that she's had, uh, you know, really been a source of wisdom for you multiple times, uh, you know, a lot through your life. Are there any stories of your mum and how she handled particular situations, dealt with people, and like any other quotes from, from your mum? I just, she just sounds like a remarkable woman. <laughs> sure. I thought I'd see if any stories pop into your head from, um, from, uh, from <laughs> that's right yeah probably worthy worthy of her own podcast like ahead of me uh yeah a few stories my mom a uh, bit of a character uh, she loved to play the piano um and i would have my rugby mates over to our house so it was just my mom and i living together um and uh my dad wasn't on the scene so i'd have my rugby guys over and when my mom got sick of the noise she'd come downstairs in her night coat and she'd play God Save the Queen on the piano, which meant get out of my house. Um, so kind of that, but the, the takeaway was it was really, there was no, I mean, she was just, okay, it's time to go. And, but kind of how can I do that in a way that's funny? Everybody left walking out the door laughing at my mom playing God Save the Queen. Um, so that was kind of always a theme too about that mutual respect. I, I, I think, you know, that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do something to embarrass you and don't do anything to embarrass me. Uh, but we do need to figure out how we're going to make this work like, like in that, in that relationship. Another story about my mom was, um, I was 16 years old, just had my driver's license, um, borrowed the car, borrowed our car. We didn't have a lot of money and, um, drove, but, uh, my girlfriend and I were going out on our first driving date. I mean, in hindsight with my own two kids that are now 16 and 14, I'm thinking, I can't believe my mom did that. But anyway, uh, got in the car. Uh, and of course, being a 16 year old showing off to the girlfriend, it had just rained. I backed out of the driveway, sped out, uh, hit the gas showing off, spun the car out, hit the curb and uh, cracked the axle, drove the car back. In, no, didn't drive the back. Sorry, left the car there, walked back. I mean, you can imagine, right? Best date oh, ever. Um, walked 100 <laughs> meters back home. 
uh, told my mom what happened. The car's in the corner. I think my mom expected that the fact that we walked back, that it was totaled or something. Anyway, she goes, well, thank goodness you're okay. She walks down the road and she drives the car back and I've cracked the axles. So the cars, the back of the car is bouncing up and down because the axles uneven. So this car is like lumping down the road and my mom's laughing her head off at this car that looks like, you know, one of those bouncing car, right? This kind of like car going up and down because the axles totally cracked. And that was another thing too, like, okay, fine. It's just a thing. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll fix it. You're paying for it, but I'm glad you're okay. You know, yeah. now what do you want for dinner? Like it was just a, it's just a thing. Don't, don't worry. Mm. And I think that was something that uh, I've always picked up from her as well. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, they're both incredible stories. Um, you've already mentioned this and, and sort of links to that story as well, but the, the idea of that work ethic on the farm and enjoying hard work, like just because we work hard doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. How, what have you learned about how to instill that in, um, in a workplace and particularly in education where I feel like uh, one of the big challenges that I hear from leaders all around the world in education is that people are struggling with workload struggling with burnout and so i think anything you can do to actually find a way as just one of many things i'm not saying as a, as a fix all but actually helping your team and your people to enjoy what they do what have you learned about how to lead that sort of culture james well i think i'm still learning a lot about it um absolutely but a few things that come to mind and the first one would be purpose laboring with a purpose automatically fuels humans I'm, I'm a big believer that when you can chunk your work down into digestible pieces and you know you can see that for the work that's in front of you right now there's a beginning a middle and an end however big or small that chunk needs to be i think is a great strategy that we as leaders can help other people with so instead of looking at this massive four-year project that's going to involve a whole team of people, how might we chunk that down into individual bite-sized pieces that can get you through this month or this week, or maybe just today, or even just what do I need to do to get through to lunch? And that's a, that can be a powerful way of, of thinking about our work that makes it manageable. And at the same time, keeps us connected with the bigger picture. And I think as a leader, again, you know, one of the things that I do is as a storyteller, Think about how I can connect people's little chunks into the bigger pieces and make them feel like they're belonging and an essential part to what we do. I mean, one of the things that I, I try and say as a leader all the time, I can't do this job without you. There's no possible way that I could look after a school of 18. Like this is just impossible. So I, I need you and we need you. We need you to be doing this work that you're doing. And it's work that no one else can do. And I really, um, I like the idea as like as well. And I'm, I mean, a borrowing from um, the book Belonging by Owen Eastwood, highly recommended. Um, Owen talks about, you know, when you're in an organization like this, when you're in a team like this, you have your moment in the sun. Someone came before you that did the job. Someone might come after you that does the job. But right now you're in the sun. This is your moment. And I think that also helps to make people feel special. Like you're part of this team, we're doing our yeah. jobs, you're all working away at it, and it's chunked into that little bit. And I think that's, that's part of it. There's also, um, there's also an element of work hard. And the enjoyment comes from the connections and the relationship. So I mean, if you've ever been a runner, or if you've ever done like a hard long workout, or certainly, you know, working on the farm, it's, it's those, as you're working, you having those little conversations, you're, you kind of get lost in the moment, someone tells a story. And the next thing you know, it's three hours later, everything just got done. And you kind of managed to get through it, right. Um, so I think that's kind of just doing the work intentionally connecting it to purpose, chunking it into small bits and reminding people as a leader what those bits are. And then having those wonderful relational distractions where it's important to sit down together and have a chat over a coffee or a lunch or uh you know and then and then back to work or whatever that might be and kind of how we do that work together i i, I think can be really powerful yeah i i really appreciate 
some of the different things you've mentioned there around connection and yeah, belonging and relationships and that um, finding ways to do the work uh, together. I mean, just um, something that pops into my head. One of the, one of the things that I, as I reflect that I bring up most frequently in coaching um, and it's always interesting what comes up because it's often not what you might expect, but I, I'll coach a lot of people who, and there's, there'll be people who are very relational. So I know we all really need belonging in relationships, but then there are people who um, they like on all the assessments and everything, it's about those connections and relationships and, and it's particularly important for them. And the number of times I chat with leaders in, in any form, whether they're a young leader up and coming or even an individual contributor, really, who's, who's not, doesn't have anyone reporting to them, um, but is in a role where they, that I find out and I see from meeting them and getting to know them, you are super, super relational. And then as they unpack things, they'll say things in passing, like, oh, I'm just really trying to get better at just taking that work and just, you know, going away and, and by myself and just, I, you know, really smashing out the work. And you dig down and you go, why, why, why do you like, why do you do it like that? And it's like, oh, because this person and this person that I know, that's how they do it. And they're, they're kind of mentors to me. And it's, and, and so that's just an extreme example where I often find myself saying to people like that, you, you just need to like, I know this sounds overly simplistic, but just do that work with people. And I think all of us, like the more you can do, get the work done with people, like you said, on the farm it does sound simplistic, but that's, that's where so much of the joy is, particularly in sport. Like you said, being a big part of, of your life as well. Like that's where the real joy is in sport is it's the people you're doing it with. It's the, it's the people that, you know, when you have that last minute victory against the odds, it's not the victory itself. That's sweet. It's the fact that you jump into a massive huddle with all these people and you did that together. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's a, that's such an important reframing that we play sport and there might be something called a game that's defined by the time or by a score or whatever that might be. But it's the, it's the shoulder moments outside that time that are at least as, if not more important for the team building, for the coming together. Right. So, I mean, when you think about certainly playing at sport at a high level, maybe 1% of our time is spent actually in the arena competing in the sport 99% of the time is spent in the training and the recovering and the bus rides and the in-between and the watching friends come and go and and that is as much of the buildup of character and experience and skills and knowledge as what happens in the arena and I think that that is true so much for the, the labor that we do the work that we do professionally too I mean we can define uh, certainly in education if the arena is our classroom, we spend probably two thirds of our time outside the classroom. And so recognizing and seeing that the time we spend volunteering, coaching, uh, you know, helping a friend, bringing someone a coffee, celebrating a birthday, um, I don't know, making muffins for kids, whatever that might be, um, is all part of the experience and all part of the job. And I think that's, that's the connectedness and chunking that up means we can also celebrate mm those little moments along the way. And, you know, one of the things, um, there's an, here's another a saying from my mom. Uh, she used to say, this is not a choice activity, meaning really, if you want to do this well, <laughs> you just need to do the work. So just acknowledge that the way that I want to lead might not be what other people need from me at this moment in order to support them with their work. So my leadership style is not a choice activity. My leadership style is depending on what can, what do you need from me? How do I, you know, how can I help? If you need to be relational, I can help you with that. If you need some space for isolation, I can help you with that too. If you need a reflective Mm -hmm. conversation, we can do that. And so part of that is as a leader, developing that, that toolbox, developing those skills to a acknowledge what the needs of your colleagues are. And B, being able to choose the right tool at the right time in, in order, like whatever that support function is, and then being able to wield that support function, support in that way, in a skilled way to give them maximum benefit as well. And I think those are big parts of leadership that we are always working on. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I love that picture of connectedness. So what are who are some of the other mentors through your career so far, James? Some of the people who've had the biggest influence on your leadership and you've watched them and, mm. and just learnt a lot from how they've led. Yeah, so many people. Um, and this is so fortunate to have um, wonderful people dip in and I can dip out and I can certainly name, um, you know, people like Bill and Ocean Powell, uh, Bambi Betts would be one of them in terms of wonderful leadership, um, really seeing um, it as, as, a, as a young leader, people like Ian Deacon, who really uh, su supported and helped me as a young leader understand what that might look like. And again, you need to see what it looks like and how it feels. And then there, are, but I think equally, if we want to be reflective, there are also those leaders. I mean, there's the wonderful leaders. Like, uh, um, Julian Whiteley is another one um, who just great people to see, to see interact and work and have a vision and certainly people that you were naturally drawn to. And then there are other people as well who, by contrast, you can decide maybe that's not who you want to be. And almost like in education, we talk about concept attainment. And one of the concept attainment activities that we do is around what examples support this concept and what ideas negate it, what, what are opposites. And actually equal, there's equal value in both. And so sometimes seeing who we don't want to be or how we don't want to act, if we do want to be reflective, can be as powerful. The problem is it doesn't give us a pathway, right? We know... We know I don't want that necessarily, or not exactly that. And the benefit of seeing it as a positive in, in terms of the direction that we do want to go is we can then have conversations about, you know, well, why did you choose that? What was your pathway? What was your thinking? And how do you get there? And it's a much easier conversation, obviously. But I think there is value as well in recognizing and seeing hey, there's things I don't want to be. I, I don't want to be a toxic leader. I don't want to be a bully. Uh, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to, you know, coerce people into action. I want them to feel like they're compelled to working to a higher purpose, uh, not out of positional authority, but because we're all colleagues and we want to do the right thing. And this is the right thing to do. And so I think those are, mm. those are all um, elements that, that can be really powerful in, in the right context. Yeah. I think growing as a leader as well, it's, it is often, um, what you don't who you don't want to become that that is arguably just as if not more formative it depends on the person and the situation and mm. uh, it makes me think of the you know psychology around sales and and marketing that uh you know human beings are will will take more seriously and act more confidently to avoid loss than they will to to bring <laughs> gain and um and I think for me, that's what popped into my head because the experiences I've had, particularly when you're not the leader, but you're in the shoes of, you know, you're the follower and there's something just really poorly done that leaves you in the lurch or really is painful for some reason. And man, you experience that and then you lead other people. And I think there's just something profound about that going, I never want to, like, that was horrible. <laughs> And as right. good as a leader I want to be, well, I for sure never want anyone I lead to have to experience <laughs> that. Um, and that, for yeah. me anyway, has led to some really strong and like things in me where I'm like, okay, well, I'm this sort of thing. I, I'm just never going to let that happen to anyone I lead because I've experienced that. So I have this. I, I just really know what that's like, and I'm. And it's not like I've necessarily decided not to do that. It's almost like I'm propelled. <laughs> to like like a yeah. magnet because of that experience i will not let that happen to anyone um so yeah I, I think that's just as true as when we see great leadership and go i want to be like that yeah i think you know kind of inoculating yourself against the negative is not a bad thing right so and i think you and you made the point and it's such a good point earlier on as well i mean we talk about leadership and we can equally talk about influence so a lot of those young leaders and, and, and I hear this quite often. I, I, I teach a, like a, a principal's training course uh, during the summertime, like during the summer break. And one of the things we hear a lot from principals is, how do I get my first job? And I understand the question completely. Another way to reframe that question is, how might I be more influential in the positive way to get the outcomes that we want? 
because it's not then about the position. It's about the work and the, the work we don't. Okay. The work often goes with the position, but actually reframing the question to how might I influence those things that we want to have done as a school or as an organization, whatever that might be. And you, the position becomes secondary. The work becomes the focus. And when the work yeah. becomes the focus, it's funny, all of a sudden we gain traction and you start to make progress. And so I've, I've helped a few uh, principals. I, I think I've helped anyway, I certainly tried to, to say, you know, instead of focusing on getting that job as a principal, getting principal on the door and sitting behind the desk, let's focus for a couple of years on just what, what work might you be doing that's going to propel your organization forward. And we focused on that. They focused on that. They did a good job. And it's funny. They said, you know, I ended up getting the job. I didn't even apply for it. I was just the obvious choice because I was already doing the work. And I think there's, there's something yeah. in there for leaders with that too, that like, if, if you're looking for positional authority, it's probably going to be a much longer, more difficult road than if you just choose the good work that you want to do and focus on that. Focus on being mm. an influencer, focus on making traction and bringing as many people with you as you can in, in a in a humane, kind way so that you're really uh, creating that synergy and bringing that effort together. And I think that that can help us reframe our focus and, and, and make progress where we can move ourselves into positions where we can have even more influence. Yeah, I love that. And I think of it in the... Um, in the reverse, uh, we, it's true in reverse as well that when when we, because I've done this myself, when we do end up in a position of authority and we've focused on that, you find out pretty quickly that that position in and of itself is not going to help you get much significant breakthrough in anything meaningful. <laughs> like now what do you need to do now you need to influence now you need to do the work and um i think the funny thing is often um for for me anyway you see the position you get the position you go oh my goodness i have no idea what i'm doing and then you learn how to do the work and do the influence you know do the do the work that leads to true influence and so i i think that's such wonderful advice to say you know what forget about the position focus on the work focus on influencing for the greater good on helping to build a great culture on, you know, uh, what can you do in your current role work that actually moves the organization forward? And you'll be actually learning things right now that when you do have that position of authority, these are the things you need to be doing anyway, so that you do a good yeah. job. Um, otherwise, how many of us have ended up in a position of authority and then learned the hard way that you make a bunch of mistakes because you um, <laughs> just hadn't really been thinking through that lens before. So I, I think that's wonderful advice. Well, and if you know what, if you're making a bunch of mistakes, it probably means you're acting and the chances of us getting it right is zero. So the chances of us getting it better is good, but there's no perfect path. And it was funny. I was just, I was just speaking with, um, with a colleague who is moving into a principal position in Azerbaijan. And she was saying, okay, you know, I've, I've read the books, I've done this work, I'm, I'm thinking about this. And I mean, incredibly bright, so talented. And she said, okay, I, I think I'm ready for the job. And I said, I guarantee you, you're not ready for the job. There is no, there's no such thing as ready for the job, right? So you're going to move into the position and <laughs> yeah. day one, minute two, there's going to be a question that you can't answer. And that's perfectly fine <laughs> and perfectly normal. So back off the whole idea of you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. What you're ready to do is work on problems as they come into your office, across your desk, into your team, and you're there to yeah. facilitate and support and make things better. I mean, so uh, I always say, I have no confidence that I'm going to have every answer to every question. I have mm -hmm. full confidence that we can work together and I can use some tools and experience that I have to help facilitate our group thinking and come up with some good results. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm fully confident of that. And really that, that in itself, that ability to adapt, right? I, I don't know how to prepare for the position of the future because I don't know what the future is. I do have the ability to prepare a series of skills and knowledge that we can pull out and work together on and come up with solutions. And I think that Mm -hmm. future proofs you as a leader as well when you're working on those skills absolutely 
Yeah. Two of my favorite quotes that people have mentioned on the podcast, and I can't remember who said it on the podcast and who originally made up the quote. So I, I can't, I can't attribute it, uh, <laughs> but if people want to find out, I'm sure if they Google it, but um, there are two quotes about this side about what you just said. And one of them is um, there's, there's no such thing as uh, winning and losing. There's only winning and learning. And I love that because I was like, yeah, there's always those failure quotes, but there's just something about that that really just nails that idea of, you know what, you, you are going to lose, but you're not really losing, you're learning. And, and the other one is that the learning is in the doing, particularly for mm. leaders. And I just love that idea that, yeah, you know what, you, <laughs> every leadership role you step into, anything you do in, in leadership and uh, really in life, it's it's in the doing of it that you're going to learn the most. And so there has to be a point where you step out and you and you give it a go. And if you can't, and if you go into it knowing that, I think that's a big part of the battle because then you're not completely shaken and falling apart because you realize why is this such a steep learning curve? Why why do I not? Why do I feel like I'm making mistakes? It's like okay, well if I realize that's part of becoming the leader that I'm going to be, then then that realistic expectation probably is a helpful perspective as a growing leader. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think, you know, you, and you reminded me of, and I know that this, this quote is attributed to Mike Tyson, which is everybody has a plan until they get punched, right? Which is actually, I know that it's, it's actually linked <laughs> with, um, I, I think it's a Germanic general sometime in the past, like no no battle plan survives first contact right and really yes. to use that metaphor yeah. that like we all have these plans that here's how things are going to work perfectly they're not and so know that you know day one we're going to have to start adapting we're going to have to start shifting i'm going to have to maybe change i'm going to have to check my own understanding my own bias i'm going to have to but that's that's part of the process right and and that's yes actually normal that's healthy it, it you get a better result you know, like upon doing that. So, I mean, one of the things that I talk about quite often uh, professionally, and one of the models that I use is a, a is a model around complexity, and complexity by definition means that the variables in the equation are constantly changing, and we don't know what they are. We only know what they are in hindsight. So, the what all we can do is really try something. If it works, do more of it. If it doesn't work, do less of it, and and work together at going through those iterations as quickly as possible. And really that for me is explains a lot of leadership, mm -hmm. especially in complex environments, not, not complicated where the variables all stay the same. There's just a lot of them. We would love to think, but by the way, that schools are just complicated. They're not um, right. Because by definition, yeah. and this is what I always say, if we're doing our jobs as educators, the students coming through the gate tomorrow are different people than they were today. So why would we yeah. think that what we did today is going to work on them? So by definition, mm -hmm. it's an incredibly com complicated environment, which means I got a good hunch what might work, but I better be prepared to pivot quickly if it doesn't. And so, you know, yeah. this is where you go back to having that that sensitivity, that empathy. I tried something. Did it work? Oh, that worked really well. Okay, let's do some more of that if we got moving in the right direction. Oh, that didn't work at all. Okay, quick, you know, pull that out. Let's let's pivot. Let's go somewhere else. And I think this is this is something that we can do on a level that doesn't have to be seen by anyone else. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to express it. I think it's more just the daily walk that we do as leaders in highly sensitive organizations to help colleagues do their best as well. And I think that whole idea of it's great to have a plan, but really in so many complex environments, best practice actually doesn't apply. It might give us a hint about what a first start might be, but we better be prepared that, I mean, rarely what works precisely for you, like a diet, let's like, let's say, or an exercise, you know, uh, like regime might not work mm -hmm. for somebody else because we're complex, different people. And so I think we just need to be, um, prepared for and and ready to to move into those environments and and then just work through them yeah that's such that's such great advice and i i think it's a massive uh, mindset shift that if people can catch that it, it unlocks a lot of other um 
problems and, and makes a lot of things that can be very confronting easier to, to handle and deal with. So um, that's that's wonderful. Well, James, I've I've had so much fun having this conversation. I'd love to invite you back for a part two because I feel like we could chat about 20 different things, but I'm I'm looking at the time and I do want to land uh, land our uh, our time now. But um, the invitation's there to come back for a part two at some point. Absolute pleasure. I'd love to. It's been fun. Thanks. Well, let's um, let's just to, to round it off. Let's do a couple of leadership express questions, just because I think your answers are going to be great, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up for today. First one: What's a book that you've gifted to others or recommended a lot? So I mentioned "Belonging" by Owen Eastwood. Uh, wonderful mm-hmm. book uh, about making connections. Uh, that would be one. The other one: uh, David Marquette has a book called "Leadership is Language." A uh, lot of great little lessons in there. Um, things like control the clock, uh, don't let the clock control you would, would, would be another one that I'm certainly uh, you know fond of. And I have to say, the, the good old Jim Collins, good to great, still resonates on so many levels and on and you know so many uh, parts that um, it's still valuable 20 years later. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, good to great. <laughs> Uh, so last question, because we can always do more questions next time when we, when we catch up, if you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say to them? Ooh, only one. Um, okay. I gotta think about this. Um, be clear about your purpose Mm. because if you can, if you can stay focused on on purpose, you can endure almost anything. Yeah, yeah. That's such great advice. Uh, well, uh, James, for those who want to find out more about, um, about your school and also potentially follow you online on LinkedIn or Twitter, anywhere like that, where, where can people find out more? Yeah, uh, easy search uh, NIST International School for the school if, you, if you're interested. Uh, you can certainly catch me. I'm on Twitter at uh, J-D-A-L-Z-I-E-L-1 and LinkedIn, just uh, James D-L. Uh, easy, uh, you know, J-M-E-S-D-A-L-Z-I-E-L. Easy uh, and searchable. Yeah, wonderful. Excellent. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Such a fun episode chatting uh chatting with james today I've, I've really enjoyed it you can probably tell um don't forget for our listeners we also have the john o white leadership podcast and the leadership question of the day podcast they're both there for you to invest in your leadership as well but I want to finish by saying a massive thank you to you james for yeah for sharing wonderful stories from your upbringing uh various quotes from your mum, which i just i just uh, <laughs> loved some of those some of those quotes they were so good <laughs> it's not a choice activity uh, so many great things, uh, but also wisdom around creating a fun work environment and and uh, wonderful thought to land about purpose. And, and if you know what your purpose is, you can endure almost anything. Um, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast. It's been a real joy. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. 
We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases, you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.